bring that energy up. Let's get into the zone. <laughs> uh, welcome to Super Duper Stitch. Oh, no, it's <laughs> taking no, the show again. again. A withering sigh. <sighs> uh, welcome Hello. to the show, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> Welcome to Super Superstitious, the paranormal podcast that looks at the science of the paranormal and supernatural and <laughs> generally spooky. Got him. Welcome to another week. I just realized I said the paranormal podcast that looks at the, at the paranormal. At the paranormal. Yeah. Just in case there's any question. Yeah, exactly. I'm Jake. I'm Wyatt. And we're back again. We're back yet again. On our goofy old, dumb old Butts. bi-week, well that too, I can say bi-weekly schedule. So, oh yeah, um, that's right. So Wyatt, as of the time this episode is coming out, you are far away from here. Oh yeah, that's true. I will be a day ahead and a dollar short in <laughs> Australia. <laughs> You'll have an extra dollar, I think is what, how that oh, works. Is, is the conversion better? No. if um, Oh yeah, yeah, the, that's right. The saying you're. Oh, uh, this gracious. episode will come out on let's see, uh, December sixth. So. Oh damn! I will be quite in Australia by then. <laughs> There'll be so much more in Australia. I'll be then. So in Australia. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to Australia to collect some bees. There is a small carpenter bee, just one species of small carpenter bee, that lives in Australia, and um, they have cool social behavior. We may have talked about this before because you've done have. before. And that's right. But never quite as long as this, I feel like. This will be the longest trip by probably a handful of days, but it feels much longer when okay. you get into it. But yeah, it'll be roughly three, three and a half weeks. I guess it's just offset from what I'm used to. I feel like it's usually kind of later. It is later, the, yes. Yeah. Usually it is um, pretty much after Christmas rather than exactly basically every day between Thanksgiving <laughs> and Christmas. <laughs> cool. So anyway, yeah, we are on a, a slower schedule for that very reason, because right. Wyatt is doing science, and we are doing, once again, at long last, another Super Duperstitious special, special report. report. What What is the, what is the, what's the overall topic of this special <laughs> report, Wyatt? Uh, this time, Jake and I are going to sort of marry and dissect <laughs> two of our passions, which are basically the pseudoscience, often pseudoscientific approach to quote-unquote studies of cryptozoological sciences if you will even call them that and also paranormal ghosties. events and exactly just exactly so <laughs> um yes ghosties <laughs> and we'll contrast that against the more classical conventional science conventional sciences which aren't fucking bullshit well actually are also bullshit sometimes so it's true <laughs> So we'll talk about the ways that they can, like, you know, the, the one field could sometimes be bullshit, the way the other field could be more not bullshit, like, and just all that good stuff. So exactly. this week we're going to each hit you with um, just some kind of examples and stuff of different types of investigations and things and kind of paint a picture of what those are like. And then yes. next week, or next episode, rather, uh, we will break it down and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So am I kicking us off today? You are indeed. So I have the cryptozoological side of things and i want to give a taste of the kinds of sort of semi-research germane to that field mm -hmm. so to do this i'll walk us through uh, a couple crypto research sites on two major players in the field which are lake monsters mm -hmm. and sasquatch you kind of can't avoid those two yeah when it comes to uh cryptozoology so we can examine what each crew presents as their methods and their evidence in support of their efforts. Um, and we can also see how the language of these sites betrays a practice that is fundamentally convinced of its own reality. 
Um, and this may be my overarching critique, which I'll just lay out now. Sure. Which is that, in my opinion, the critical fault of cryptozoological, again, air quotes, research, is that it is predicated on belief rather than evidence. Uh, so no matter how much self-professed, and they are always self-professed, cryptozoologists insist <laughs> on objectivity and skepticism, the vast majority are operating on stories and conviction rather than observable phenomena. So, unfortunately, this will continue to justifiably condemn cryptozoology to the academic trash can, I would say, until enthusiasts can find a way to flip the script and adopt a more objective and truly critical approach. It's cart before the horse, basically. Yeah, and I think we're going to find a lot of that in um, yes, this will be the paranormal <laughs> stuff, too. So, <laughs> Likely the first of many times you guys will hear us say <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> um, so we'll, that, we'll, we'll break it down a little more interestingly yeah. than that. So Exactly. So without further ado, some Lake Monster shit. Mm -hmm. uh, so in 1981, the New York effing Times prints an article entitled, Is it Lake Champlain's monster? Oh, it's all champ. <laughs> all champ. champ. The first passages of the article read, On July 5th, 1977, Sandra Mancy was showing her husband-to-be the countryside around Lake Champlain, where she had grown up. They talked and laughed about the legends of a large monster inhabiting the lake. While sitting on the shore, she recalled, they saw something move far out in the water. She thought it was a school of large fish, she said, until a head and then a long serpentine neck emerged from the water, growing bigger and bigger. I was scared to death, Mrs. Mancy said in an, in an interview the other day. I had a feeling I shouldn't be there. Mrs. Mancy said she collected herself enough to snap a single color picture with a Kodak Instamatic but decided to say nothing about it to anyone. But as more and more people began reporting sightings of the so-called Lake Champlain monster, also known as... I don't know. Champ. Um, Mrs. Mancy let it be known that she had what might be the only photograph of the creature. For the scientists who would examine the picture in the ensuing months, it would be one more of those tantalizing bits of evidence regarding the still tightly held secrets of nature... The evidence must be treated with the greatest skepticism, but it can't be rejected out of hand. I also like the idea that she didn't tell anyone at all about the photo she took, including her fiancé who was there with her as she was taking it. Oh, yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> she was like, what are you doing? Nothing. Nothing. I'll never tell. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, don't look at the water for like five minutes, maybe. Um, so I want to start this bit by pointing out how the language used in this New York Times article, uh, which as a major media outlet is referenced as a kind of what's up with reality resource, mm -hmm. the news media. It reaches a feverish level of conspiratorial excitement almost from the jump. Yes. It's like, the question isn't whether or not this thing is there. It's whether or not people will be able to use her picture effectively right. to find it. <laughs> I mean, even the headlines suggest, like, you know, it's not, oh, is there a monster? It's like, is this a photo of the monster that there is? Exactly. And uh, so I wanted to start off with that little clip because I feel like it's articles like this that kind of set a fire for a lot of people who take on that don the, the mantle of cryptozoology mm -hmm. because it's already been a tacitly validated narrative. These things are out there. We just haven't gotten the evidence we need mm -hmm. to prove their existence. And that seems to be kind of the crux of the whole field, basically. It's like, oh, that stuff's there. We just, we just have to prove it. We right. Just gotta, we just got to prove it, guys. Right. Further, as described by Robert Bartholomew in an article in Skeptical Inquirer, discussing this and the earlier hoax uh, Nessie image, also known as the surgeon's photo, mm. um, that's the one most people will recall from memory as the black and white 
little dinosaur neck sticking out of the water yep. looking thing. Quote, ironically, prior to its exposure, several scientists had concluded that there were strong similarities between the surgeon's photo and the Mansi photo, suggesting that Champ and Nessie may be similar species. <laughs> Richard J. Greenwell, an optical science professor at the University of Arizona, remarked in 1981 that the ratio between the head and neck was, quote, very much the same in both animals. And naturalist Charles Johnson concurred. So we have these bits of, in one case, very, very patently misinformation, patently proven yep. misinformation, even being kind of gobbled up by the scientific community totally. um, as evidence. What does this all do but validate the hell out of an already mysterious and thrilling narrative? Yep. <laughs> There's as much evidence as one desires in these photographs, and true to conspiratorial form, admissions that one or either is an outright hoax can be dismissed either as the actual lie or a careful cover-up for a truer truth that's just too juicy to let loose. Mm -hmm. uh, so the Loch Ness Monster story goes way back through the years, but the thing seems only to exist in the many purported sightings rather than as an actual tangible creature. Mm -hmm. uh, regardless, groups have made repeated concerted efforts to determine whether it actually exists. Just this past May, a research team calling themselves the Loch Ness Hunters proposed the use of rather contemporary environmental DNA. Mm. Uh, sampling to assess whether uh, Nessie really does or does not live in Loch Ness. So environmental DNA or eDNA, it's a pretty cool approach to determining whether a creature is in the environment that you're studying. Uh, for folks at home, environmental DNA refers to the amino acids detectable in the minute remnant biological material left by really any and all living things. Uh, for instance, you may shed thousands of skin cells all day every day, uh, in theory, these could be collected and sequenced to, at the very least, figure out that you as a person lives in your apartment and not a horse or a seagull or something else like this. They probably wouldn't be able to draw it back to like your full genomic data, Yeah, but they could at least go, oh, human. Right. And they could also do that and determine that, oh, also a horse and a seagull live in my apartment with me. <laughs> this is true. Um, we, we mentioned this in our episode uh, when we were debriefing on our trip to the cryptozoology conference um, at the end of the fall, it's like early September, I think. Mm -hmm. We also talked about uh, expeditions to Loch Ness, and you mentioned this one was this past May. Uh, this coming May or possibly June, there's another one, and you, dear listeners, can send us there. For the low, low price of $12,000. $12, we have a GoFundMe. <laughs> it's still doing really well. Um, let's just have a quick look at that uh, for a good measure. Yeah, I want to make see. sure. It's been a few months oh, deep. Oh, nice. And yes, yeah, perfect. So two Holy months Holy shit, in. we are up to $11,999. So if anyone would like to just send in $1. <laughs> yep, then we'd be all set. Um. <laughs> we have... Oh, uh, wait, that's that's sorry, dollars to go? Oh, actually, and there's one more. Yeah, so it's actually $12,000 to go. So we, um, shit. So we need to raise all of the money. Right. Uh, but no, this is still going well. Thank you guys for all of your um, <laughs> your support with that. We'll send another. We'll put another link in this episode's description. Exactly. Um, as discussed in a review, a peer-reviewed review, by Thompson et al. in 2015 in the journal Biological Conservation, despite its many promises, eDNA still carries many pitfalls. Not the least of which is a risk of contamination. An inability to distinguish between living and dead organisms because mm. you're just basically collecting the remains left by something that had been alive. Right. And a reliance on reliable DNA sequence databases. So essentially yeah. what people do when they collect eDNA 
you know, you can think of it as like uh, hair, let's say, you know, sort of forensic. Let's take the CIS approach or whatever. I don't know. I don't CSI, watch these shows. CSI, CIS, NCIS. crime investigation yeah. scene. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you took uh, some hair you found uh, in the woods or in a room, you could extract a bit of DNA from that mm-hmm. and determine what species it would be, in part by determining whether the resulting DNA sequence aligns to this, that, or the other database DNA that we know belongs to, you know, chickens or sharks or cows or whatever. Yeah. Things you'd find on a farm. <laughs> so looking for the Loch Ness Monster in a database of known animals is already kind of uh, begging for some sort of confirmation. Trouble. Of, yeah. Um, like, oh, this matches. We found some DNA that matches something. It's, uh, we can't really tell what exactly, but it, it's uh, there's something in there. And so regardless, it's a cool approach, and it does seem like they're at least using science yes. of some collectively agreed upon kind mm-hmm. to address the issue of does it or does it not. To the point that their efforts have even earned them coverage by a digital article in goddamn Smithsonian Magazine wow. entitled, DNA Survey of Life in Loch Ness Will Hunt for Its Monster Resident. Summary line, the goal is to catalog the lake's diversity of life, including any oversized prehistoric reptiles. <laughs> so it's all done with a bit of a wink and a nod, but mm-hmm. the fact remains, this article, published what, this year, is eerily like the one in 1981 from New York yep. Times. We have a reputable source <laughs> saying, hey, they might find that thing. So anyone out there, you know, with a wall covered in photographs and bits of yarn, like attaching <laughs> everything to it, it's like going to be so validated. Uh, so anyway, let's check in with Loch Ness Hunters. And I want to both of us just review their site together and have that be a segment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. Supernatural History, Loch Ness Edition. They have some very, like, it's a pretty good-looking website. It's well-branded, which is a lot more that can be said of any of the websites we're going to look at during my segment. It feels to me like the website for a science company in a movie. Look at this shit. (laughs) We got a woman and a man kind of dressed up for the field a little bit. They look a little fashionable. (laughs) Looking at a uh, round-bottomed flask of water. He's Um, holding, like, a noteboard, like he's taking notes on it for some reason. Yes. Yeah, it looks looks wet to me. A clip book, maybe. Did I say no board? <laughs> you said no board. And uh, there's sort of a DNA-looking-ish, I don't even know what you'd call that. Designs over the top of Science the... Science Overlaid on top of the uh, photo. So they tell you the story. They talk about Loch Ness as a thing. Search to date what their team's doing. And then we can learn more about any of these categories. So I'm going to go learn more about the, the science. science. So the search of Loch Ness is about so much more than mysterious water monsters. It's about cutting-edge science, (laughs) which will make a real difference in how we monitor and protect the world's increasingly fragile ecosystems. Yeah, because think of how endangered the Loch Ness monster must be. Living creatures leave little bits of themselves behind wherever they go. The fur they leave behind, the skin or scales that drop off. They describe what eDNA is. They describe how they're going to database it. So, yeah, they they describe their process. Basically, this is a seven-step methodology. Here's how eDNA will be collected and analyzed during the search of Loch Ness. Other eDNA research follows a similar pattern. Number one, all organisms in and around water leave behind DNA traces, left in skin, feces, urine. Water samples taken from the loch. 
<laughs> Excuse me. Water samples will be taken from the yeah, lock. Yeah, we'll assume that there's must be a verb in there somewhere. Samples will be sent to the lab for analysis. DNA will be extracted. DNA will be sequenced using technology originally created for the Human Genome Project. DNA results com- will be compared against a database of existing DNA markers for known species. And finally, we will assess this list for things native, introduced, invasive, and any, any unexpected, unexpected results, results, which you just know they're like, oh yeah, those <laughs> unexpected results. So it's, yeah, it's kind of framed as like, we're just going to see what's in the lake. And then, oh, if we find anything we aren't expecting, well, that would sure be neat, wouldn't that it? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be neat? And that's the part that bugs me the most. The entire thing is based around, it's clearly, clearly looking for the monster. <laughs> exactly. And they're doing all they can to button it up in this very business suit and tie. But come on. And I, it, it, it drives me nuts, not because I think they aren't trying to be rigorous, but rather because I feel this runs the risk of being just one more blurry photograph. Yes. And even more damagingly, one that appears to be so validated through scientific study. Right. What I mean is, and Jake already gets me, anytime you sample DNA from an organism, you are effectively taking a snapshot of its genetic makeup. Yes, every one of an organism's cells has the same copies of DNA, and in many cases, you can trust clean DNA sequence drawn from a known animal. The eDNA approach unnerves me because the unexpected, (laughs) aka uncertain, results are so entirely open to speculation. A prudent scientist would not attempt a wild narrative on such results and wouldn't even offer it as something that they were looking to see in their results. But I'm fearful all this company will have to go on are results that can't actually be validated using a database of DNA from, you know, real organisms. Right. After all, they're presumably looking for the one thing they haven't been able to find. (laughs) And given the nature of molecular work, they are almost guaranteed to find at least some sequences that are too shit to match up against things we already know. Totally, yeah. That kind of research, Wyatt and I have both done it ourselves. I always like to call it black box biology, <laughs> where you can't see any of the stuff you're doing because it's all so small. So you're just kind of, you know, you're pipetting well, things. and Put the primer in there. And then yeah, so. assuming that it's going to work out right, like you're trying right. to be very, very precise and careful. And then just hoping that it turns out right. And then you, you wait, you run the reaction, you do whatever you have to do. And then you wait and see the results and find right. out. Did it work? And by that point, you can validate your results against what other people have done, which is basically all you can do in science is yes. try to validate through replication. But you're guaranteed to fuck up. Right. Not because you aren't good at it or whatever. It's just it's going to happen no matter going how hard you try, exactly. no matter how expert you are at it, there's going to be mistakes. And in this case, they're basically saying, oh, we're looking for those mistakes to say that they are something. (laughs) Exactly. And so, you know, the safe and acceptable assumption would be that the sequences are incomplete or shoddy. And in a study, you wouldn't even bring them up in a published paper. Right. But I just am afraid they will get around to finishing this off and they'll go, wow, look at these 400 sequences we couldn't find a match to. I really wonder what's going on there. And then we'll be no further We'll just have more hmm yeah. going on. So someone, someone inevitably will say in that particular example you're giving, oh, there must be like 400 different <laughs> yeah. individuals swimming <laughs> around in the lock. But we somehow calculated the effective population size <laughs> yep. from these single locus markers. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, so moving on to Sasquatch Sturf. <laughs> Many research organizations have formed to find evidence of the cryptid known as Sasquatch. 
I'm not going to get into the background on why so many people believe in Sasquatch today. For that, you can listen to pretty much any of our past episodes. <laughs> Anything Wyatt has said on microphone. Whenever I open my mouth, I'm like, Sasquatch is cool. <laughs> uh, it's a fun story, and a shockingly huge number of people have, for literally hundreds of years, offered personal anecdotes of sightings and encounters with large, hairy, human-like apes deep in the woods of North America. Sasquatch investigations of the Rockies, a.k.a. Sir, uh, <laughs> appear to be trying their damnedest to pull off some legit investigations into what they believe is a very elusive, cautious, and intelligent organism. Unfortunately, while I appreciate their efforts and enjoy the purported evidence they have collected to date, it remains, as is so painfully common among Sasquatch investigations of this type, of really any type, inconclusive as hell for me. <laughs> yes. Uh, so let's take a look through their page. Hey. So one thing I forgot to point out about the Loch Ness thing is that um, oh yeah, please. their very fancy looking, like super professional seeming website must be in some way at least to try and... Um, Bait? Yeah, well, they need funding because that kind of stuff, I mean, anything, anytime you do molecular biology, it costs money. And we'll probably talk more about this next week. Funding is a very big consideration when it comes to doing scientific research. Right, exactly it's true. It can be a hugely limiting factor. Even among the most peer-validated work. Cool. So let's look at Sir. I like the, the logo, the red-eyed Bigfoot. Um. There's like a very, <laughs> it's good looking, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how much shit I want to talk because these are just people, but they've got a lot of different things you can check out. They have a store, of course, which I have to look at first. <laughs> Bigfoot, Yowie, and Yeti. Save up to 30%. Shop now. Wait, that has actually got a goal. Get the hat. 20 bucks tree peaker beanie that sounds creepy you could save 30 percent though why oh, that's true all right so let's go back to their their other thing this is like a different thing now okay they have links or tabs i guess to our research our evidence mm. and field reports their evidence is primarily pictures of prints uh, strange things they found in the woods um hair samples strange things in the woods include Trees that have been bent or broken in very conspicuous ways. Uh, rocks that have been stacked up into little cairns, basically. Mm -hmm. They found the remains of, like, elk, which the thing was clearly eaten, and the bones broken, but there aren't, like, tooth marks all over it like you would expect with a classical predator attack. Uh -huh. And so they're like, well, in this case, Sasquatch clearly snapped the bone by twisting to get at the marrow. Mm. Which is not a crazy suggestion, aside from Sasquatch did it. <laughs> yeah. And that, for me, is the major uh, downfall of the site, and this kind of work in general. Well, there's two. One is most of the images. We could look at one, for instance. Um, how about the tree breaks? So we got... Photos of broken trees in broken different trees. forms. Yeah. Jeez, what did it? So they're, by and large, they're finding interesting things out in the woods, and even maybe like with the example of the elk carcass you mentioned... Like, um, these are weird. Correctly, yes. Yeah, interesting, like stacked trees. And I mean, some of them may have fallen naturally that way, but a lot of them don't seem like they. They seem unnaturally, yeah. They're a little too arranged. Yeah. So they may even be correctly identifying the actual method by which these different things were done, but they're then applying motive or, um, assuming who or what did it instead right. of just saying, okay, we know that this happened and how. Precisely. There's no way to actually know what actually caused it you just know how it was done it easily could have been people and that is another heartbreaker for me with this kind of this form of evidence if you will call it that which is that there's no way to know whether they set these photos up 
mm-hmm. you cannot know. That's true. And I mean, I want to take them at their word. I do I'm too. certainly not trying to disenfranchise them at all in this. I just, this is just the issue for me with this kind of work in general. I can imagine being on the other side of it, being on one of these teams, and let's say you go out there and you find all this stuff. Oh, yeah. And you're taking pictures and you're just like, holy shit, what is going on out here? And then to have someone go, well, maybe you set it up yourself. And it's like, right. You know, I can't say I didn't with any kind of uh There's no way to prove. prove. I, yeah. yeah. Which is hugely frustrating for everyone involved. So right. I, um, I think we both take this general tack that we tend to believe in the intent and honesty of the people who Absolutely. are doing this stuff. Yeah. Like we believe that they believe. Right. And so with that in mind, I mean, they have some stuff that's kind of cool. They have footprint and handprint pictures. They mm-hmm. have this mid-tarsal break, which is like a big anatomical feature uh, with Sasquatch purportedly. So here you go. You got this interesting footprint, which seems to sort of bend a bit like a peanut almost mm-hmm. from back to front, which is, um, again, one of these things where people are like, oh, shit, that's the Squatch right there. But it's, at the end of the day, a set of photos, a set of audio recordings, which are mostly whoops and knocks. Mm-hmm. Again, hard to say whether it was people or not. Mm-hmm. I very much love the Sasquatch story, obviously, and definitely throughout the accounts and even some purported footage, that Almasti footage, for instance, the one with the Russian that kids. That one was really cool. Holy shit. What the hell is going on there? Maybe we could link to that again in this yeah, episode, too. For that the was crazy, because I'm like, that's legitimately a large ape running around in like a cold, wooded, frosty forest. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is going on? Or it seems to be. But at the end of the day, Sasquatch, insofar as modern science is concerned, remains a story mm-hmm. and that is basically my segment for today <laughs> yeah, i think you brought up a lot of really great points that i think are very much in line with this kind of stuff we're going to be talking about for this whole special report and um and we can get into more detail about the specifics of that next time oh yeah do we want to talk now about um go from the world of the spooky animals into just straight up spooky spooks hell yeah when it comes to paranormal investigations at this point we've probably seen the rundown in enough tv shows and movies and stuff we could do it ourselves. I mean... Come at me, ghost, ghost. <laughs> well, some shows more than others. Um, a particular location is believed to be haunted. First, you ask about the specific incidents people have claimed and uh, whether multiple people have independently experienced the same things. Maybe you get a general tour of the space, if possible, mm-hmm. and find out what sorts of activity happens where. Describe different kinds of backstories for each room. Someone was definitely killed in this room. Yep. Uh, once you're ready, you wait until nighttime, you turn off all the lights, and you get to work. <laughs> because ghosts are afraid of sunlight and light yep. of any kind. <laughs> I have seen paranormal investigators saying that the idea is if some of the sightings people have had could potentially be optical illusions caused by light or reflections or anything. Oh, they're just trying to elicit to, a similar... Or they want to remove that variable to see Ooh. to say, okay, well, if, if we see anything, it's not because of light reflecting because there's no light. So mm. that's... Hmm. That's one of the claims at mm-hmm. least one group has made, but I yes. think mostly it's just, oh, it's spookier. That's when ghosts happen. It quite, quite is, yes. So probably you have some night vision cameras. Ideally, you have an EMF detector for measuring mm. electromagnetic fields. Uh, maybe you even have a thermal imaging camera. Ooh, very fancy. You take all these things and walk all around and get readings of the space. Right. Maybe to establish a baseline. He's air quoting. I am air quoting. <laughs> trying to say it with my voice in my inflection, but um, <laughs> of what things are like before they get all ghosted up. Yes. At some point, you absolutely, without question, will perform an EVP session. Yep. Asking questions out loud about who or what might be there with you. And you'll hear <laughs> in response. So while you're asking the questions, you have a, um, some kind of audio recorder. 
and you record the audio to find out later if any voices responded to you, Mm -hmm. producing what you probably already know is called an electronic voice phenomenon, EVP. Mm -hmm. When you've done all you can do for one night, you'll pack up, go through all your footage and recordings, and see what evidence you can find of strange occurrences. If you find anything, then you'll likely make some sort of call on whether the place you investigated was haunted or not. (laughs) Right. Repeat as necessary with myriad new locations. You are now a paranormal investigator. (laughs) Um, That is really all there is to it. We've seen there's so many TV shows that like to do that. It's in movies and stuff now too. Um, Mostly just different portrayals of the Warrens doing it. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, the official stance of Super Duper Sisters is fuck the Warrens. Paranormal investigators come. We need a war on the Warrens. (laughs) Yes. Paranormal investigators come in all different shapes and sizes, but by and large, their goals tend to involve a few common keywords. Uh, research, investigate, analyze, and document. Mm-hmm. I may have scabbed those directly from the mission statement of the Minnesota-based International Paranormal Society. But yeah, in the broadest sense, the stated intent is usually to look for stuff in the hopes of then finding stuff. <laughs> More to a point, that stuff <laughs> is one way or another supernatural presences or other such phenomena that can't be explained by conventional science. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's put a pin in that idea that certain things can't be explained by conventional science. We'll we'll come back to that in detail next week or next cool. episode. I keep saying that. <laughs> next episode. You good? Now, this is just me, a guy named Jake, and my thoughts on the paranormal. Let's hear instead some real experience. Here's a guy named Jake, specifically user Jake Paranormal, and his post entitled my thoughts on the paranormal he looks like you he just has like an all black outfit and like <laughs> weird creepy makeup on and like <laughs> yep. a maniacal grin um he says quote i've been a paranormal investigator for over eight years and in 2010 i started fife paranormal and i have investigated cemeteries sanatoriums houses battlefields bigfoot ufos indian burial mounds his words not mine Satanic headquarters, not sure what those are. Satanic headquarters. <laughs> and many other locations. Sounds like the DMV. <laughs> the paranormal has always been a part of my life, and some people may say that the field chose me more than I chose the field. Oh, boy. Um, I am a paranormal investigator, which means that I do take a bit of scientific approach to investigations in order to tr- either debunk paranormal activity or prove paranormal activity. You know, science. Just a bit of a scientific approach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a full believer in it, but I think it is good to take a healthy, skeptical approach because it keeps your mind open to anything. And I think it's very important to have an open mind to anything in the paranormal field. He you know, a skeptical approach. knows what that means. I hope. <laughs> I've been to locations and been able to debunk some of the claims. And I've been to some locations that were legit haunted. And then I proceeded into the who is here and why are they here mode of thinking. Mm, I like that mode of thinking very much. (laughs) There are a lot of people in this field that are all pure thrill seekers, and I call them ghost hunters. You might even say I'm in that mode of thinking right now. (laughs) Uh, Because they hunt ghosts, not investigate them. They want to experience activity for the thrill, not to actually investigate it to see what may be causing it, paranormal or not. Nice distinction, weird Jake. (laughs) The paranormal field has come a long way in the past 80 years, and I'm excited to see what the future has in store for the field. Here recently, I've gotten into the works of uh, Konstantin Radiv, Sarah Estep, George Meek, Ed and Lorraine Warren. So I actually met Lorraine Warren a few years ago. And I think as long as we focus on taking steps forward instead of taking steps back, the field will be okay. What? To his credit, if you're looking to make progress of any kind in any field, this is watertight advice. Yeah. 
Uh, I just wanted to make this post to kind of introduce myself and my thoughts in this forum. This is in the um, paranormal subreddit. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. The state of the field, your favorite researchers, or really anything paranormal. Have a great day, everyone. Uh, this post was from six months ago, by the way. Um, so there are some replies to um, Goddamn Batgirl says, Hey, Jake, I am a researcher invest- and investigator myself, and I just entered my 20th year. Um, I love of life? I don't know. I think of investigating. Um, but uh, <laughs> What a strange way of <laughs> yes. structuring that sentence. Um, I love hearing from fellow colleagues in the field. Judging by the growing number of television shows based on the paranormal field, I would say that the acknowledgement of our field is growing. However, not all the publicity that these shows attain is good publicity. Some shows are over the top. Some painfully lack professional investigative procedures. And others aggrandize aspects that we, as true-life investigators, know are too good to be true. Tell them. So we can see that there's a difference between the flashy TV ghost hunters and the legitimate professionals. An important distinction, I'm sure. Yes, uh, they go on. It is nice to see that so many people are finally taking an interest in the field, but I believe that regardless of how much television exposure ghost hunters receive, it's still up (laughs) to us, the real-life pros, to keep and maintain the good name. I believe that paranormal podcasts, hey, that's us, Oh yeah. blogs, and other forms of social media documentation is the best way for us to spread the word about this field and hopefully to entice more people into becoming serious about it. Smiley face. Ooh, got bad news for you. Watch your face again. <laughs> Goddamn Batman. Goddamn Batman. Although it's G-X-D-M-N. Goddamn Batgirl, sorry. Uh, not Goddamn Batman. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so... Very much like what we discovered at the Cryptozoology Conference in September. Oh, it seems that the paranormal researchers long to be recognized and taken seriously. I want that sweet, sweet validation. Yes. Jake also has a response to goddamn bad girl's comments. I uh, said, this is cool that you've been in the field for a while, and it's great to hear from other researchers. I feel that the paranormal field is highly saturated with thrill seekers and people that love to stir up trouble for everyone else. Television shows are sources of entertainment, but it does get the field into the worldwide spotlight. But I wish more people would take it seriously. I think that as long as we keep up our honest research, the field will be all right. So let's talk now a bit about some of the honest research in question. Yeah. Uh, What do they do? So I do believe... Perhaps he means earnest. Yes. And that's exactly what I was going to say He just mispronounced the word. Yes. I I do believe very much in the earnestness of the folks involved here. And we've said that already. Uh, I particularly like how much Jake, in this one example, wants everyone in the field to do the best job they can and be taken seriously. Right. There are a lot of other folks out there I could look at in more detail, but since we've already spent some time with him, let's look at Jake and his company, Fife Paranormal. They describe themselves as a father and son paranormal team from Virginia investigating haunted locations. They're impressive. Over 30 field investigations conducted and over 15 years combined experience in the field. Combined experience. So they've both been doing it for seven and a half years. We already know that Jake has done it for eight years, he claims. So that means that that his dad has done it for seven years. There you go. Jake got into (laughs) it and then he dragged his dad along. (laughs) I have to bond with you. (laughs) Um, Here's their full intro. This is written by Jake's dad, Chris. Uh, Welcome to Fife Paranormal. I would like to take a moment and tell you a little bit about who I am and what we are intending with this endeavor. Oh, My name you? is Chris Fife. I have been involved in the world of the paranormal since I can remember. This has left me with many, many questions, and over the years I have tried to find some answers. He can only remember seven years into the past. <laughs> um, he hasn't been involved. Maybe not as a, an investigator, but just like interested. I'm just messing around. Um, so tried to find some answers granted the answers i have found have led me to even more questions but i think that is the way it's supposed to work so so far totally on the money as far as scientific research is concerned the only difference is the inclusion of the word paranormal 
Um, it could take True. Anyone who's getting involved in science research would probably have the same kind of backstory, that they're always interested, want to learn more, ask a lot of questions, find that those lead to even more questions. That's that's how it works. That is indeed how it works. It's true. As I got older and started a family, I stepped away from the world of ghosts and the other things that go bump in the night. I never left this world, just didn't do many investigations or read as many books as I once did. Things still happened around us, and we had many experiences as the years went along. I hope to share a lot of these experiences with you as time goes along. These events that would happen... Yeah, along. Uh, these <laughs> events that would happen around <laughs> us started my son, Jake, to asking questions. From a young age, he showed an interest in this field of study and I would answer his questions as fully as I could. Now, years later, he and I have decided to start this page and invite all of you that are interested and have your own questions to come along with us. Along. We are not professionals. We are not trying to be experts. We are searchers looking for answers and understanding. We hope you'll become part of this grand experiment and Aww. help us as we go along this new path. Along. We want to build a community of like-minded <laughs> seekers who are willing to walk with us down this road. Thanks for being here and taking this time. There'll be more to come, and I hope you're all here to share it with us. Uh, so I guess they aren't professional after all. Someone ought to tell Jake that fact after he kind of opened it saying, oh, yeah, professional. Well, Jake's still got his career ahead of him. He does. That's true. <laughs> and uh, five seniors, like, hey, guys, I just want to have some fun with my son. Cut us some slack. <laughs> yeah. Join us. It's, just, a it's a family affair. He can't catch a ball to save his life. So he we can't catch this. a ball. Maybe he can catch a ghost. <laughs> So I do like that the elder fife doesn't even pretend to be an expert on anything. He's just interested. That's his whole thing. Yep. Honestly, that's where I think everyone really ought to stop uh, listing, the, <laughs> last, listing their credentials. Just saying, right. hey, this is the thing I'm interested in. I've been doing it for a while. We'll go into detail in part two mm-hmm. about the specifics of the methods used by paranormal investigators. I mentioned just like I listed off some of the tools earlier. Right. We'll kind of dig deeper into that later. Right. And we can talk about the merits and drawbacks of all the stuff involved. For now, let's just finish painting our portrait of who paranormal investigators are in general and who they tend to be. Yeah. And cool. we'll do that by looking at some uh, some websites. Sometimes. Hey, I like uh, that we both independently um, <laughs> decided to just got look at, ourselves some websites to yes. look at. So unfortunately, Five Paranormal doesn't have a website. They just have a oh, Facebook page. What a look. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have some different photos of places they've gone. Um, here's a photo of what looks like yeah, Jake investigating something I, I don't know if he's holding yeah, a, he's checking his phone he's holding a couple of different he's got like a weed grinder of, and a, a phone. weed grinder and a phone i guess yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's holding some different tools oh spirit box session okay so pure cemetery they certainly want us to feel that the things they're doing are spooky and dramatic and our guest next episode will uh, has said in her book too that a lot of times these investigators they know the different kind of tools exist. They have seen other people using them, and they feel like they have to use them too, and that that makes it science. Like, right? Science is using. It's cool a replication gadgets. of the methods of a previous study in many cases. Yes. I also saw that he had what looked like a calculator on a Ouija board, which yes. <laughs> doesn't work. Maybe it works really well. It's hard to say. It just spells boobs every time. Anyway, go on. Uh, both the calculator and the Ouija board. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So. If you're wanting to look into just who is doing paranormal investigations right here in the state of New Hampshire, it turns out there are 44 at least listed on paranormalsocieties.com. What? In New Hampshire alone? In New Hampshire alone. Now, oh my God. these are ones that are based in New Hampshire. That's like half the population of the state. <laughs> 44. <laughs> 
Um, and in case you're wondering, yes, Wyatt, there is one that's based here in Dover, Hey-o. which also services. I don't know if they do Kittery, but they do do Elliot. We so should interview them. They really do everything around here. If they're still active, we probably should talk to them. Paranormal um, Reactions. Paranormal <laughs> Reactions. The unexplained production films featuring you. Wow. I'm st- I spent a good chunk of this afternoon trying to break that down. The unexplained production films featuring you. Production, like producing films featuring Production films? Oh, yeah, I see. Produced films featuring you, I've got. Mm -hmm. They're referring to them as the unexplained. So, yeah, probably. We are producing films that feature you. A lot like the Bigfoot thing we looked at earlier. They have a bunch of different tabs of things you can look at. They have, like, you know, you can see who the investigators are. You can see the production crew. They also have a tab of evidence, and it's broken down by year. So Pretty quiet for 2018. 2014, they had a lot of stuff going on. Enough. Ooh, Stone Church in Newmarket. You used to live Let's in look. Newmarket. Let's yeah. look at that. They have um, some photos. So Mark may not have been talking to himself after all. Ooh, sorry, uh, EVP. Can we listen to it? Yeah, I got to put the um, that on. So Mark may not have been talking to himself after all. There's a photo of, of investigator Mark who was doing an EVP session. And He's there's an EVP. the basement, presumably? Yeah, it must be the basement of the Stone Church, which is a cool what concert venue in yeah, Newmarket. Yeah, bar up in uh, yeah. Newmarket. So let's have a listen. If you're not, can can you turn the light on? Let us know. So it's not like he's trying to determine who the ghost is. I think I heard sorry before he started speaking, actually. Yes, even he's supposed to be the word sorry. Sorry. So we'll listen to here. Before you hear Mark start talking, is the sound very faintly. I'll, I'll probably try and crank the volume of it in post. If you're not, can can you turn the light on? It sounds so, like what he's trying to determine is who the ghost is. He thought it might be someone named Ken. So if you're not Ken, right. he turned this lamp on. <laughs> but so, yeah, just before he starts bringing, sorry. Yeah. Um, they also did, uh, did, where did the murders take place? Uh, in Sorry. Um, where the, You know the murders? The Isles of Shoals murders that you talked about a few episodes back. Which island were they? Oh. Star Island? <laughs> CV Island? Nope. Oh, it was on um, Smutty Nose. I'm sorry. It was on Smutty Nose Island. I believe that's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is Star Island, which is still, you know, hmm, one of the Isles of Shoals. Orbs? Orbs. So many orbs. So oh, there's the orbs. orbs. Is this the young girls watching us by their monument? Nope. <laughs> um, Lisa's Blue Mist. This photo was captured by our guest Lisa and Beeb Grave. Can you see the faces in it by enlarging? Here's enlarging. You see any faces in them? I see dust. It is dust. Let's see. There's a dark photo of nothing. Richard's blue orb. This is taken by Beeb Grave as well. This one was taken by our guest Richard. There's some blueness over there, which is probably a reflection of someone's flashlight or phone against themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, compare these two. Is something peeking in the window? So between these Let's two, see. one of them has a dust ball on it. Oh. In front of the window. <laughs> How about, they didn't talk about the one, wait, go in. The one in the room? The one up there? The one up there is still there. Something is just part of the wall. Oh, it's just part of the wall. But uh, they got two, yeah. maybe even the third if they wanted it. <laughs> Evidence. Yeah. So unfortunately, again, a lot of this stuff is just like kind of really random, weird things. Like, oh, we can't explain this. So I, I, I guess it's ghosts. Um, it's it's got to be ghosts. And like, yeah, they're posting it as a question like, you know, what is this? Uh, we, we don't know. 
Oh, there was one more that's based in Manchester I wanted to point out. Please. It's called The I'm Devil Hunter. Oh, shit. It looks like uh, an icon for malware removal software. <laughs> it kind of does. Uh, kind of like tornado uh, thing. Um, it's actually pretty nice for like an icon for a yeah. program. I want to read through these bullets. I this see that it's top- the top 10 signs of negative spiritual attachment. Yes, which may or may not be full on um, possession, but it's, it's still oh, I see. being somehow attached to a negative uh, spirit of Let me kind. know. So, low energy. Okay, I've got Anxiety that. or depression. Yep. Character shifts or mood swings. All the time. Inner voices speaking to you. Nonstop. Abusive drugs or alcohol. Even right now. <laughs> Impulsive behavior. <laughs> Memory problems. What did I just do? <laughs> Poor concentration. What are we doing right now? <laughs> Physical problems with no obvious cause. My back hurts. Strong reactions to the subject of depossession. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I just looking at this like, oh, this is all signs of something mental health related. And then, yeah, the strong reactions at the subject of depossession. If you then say, hey, I think you might be possessed, and they get pissed off at you, <laughs> well, that's a sign they might be possessed. Oh, boy. So that's, uh, I didn't even bother to read any deeper into this site because it's like, oh, it's someone who's it using. Says, it says down there if you tie them to a chair and, it, and they float, then <laughs> they're definitely possessed. I mean, that one you could at least have a little bit of leeway on, but um, so these are just two different local paranormal investigation um, groups. Boy. And, uh, yeah, to give you kind of the gist of what you can see for the whole running the whole gamut of different types of paranormal investigation groups where they're either like, oh yeah, we're going to try and just see what weird stuff is going on and document it. Or like, oh, this is all very much spiritual stuff. And <laughs> there's evil right. in the world and it goes all over the place. So, um, most definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, next time I'll dig a little deeper into how their methods work and what uh what exactly is going on there yeah and maybe i'll try and look up a little more about what actually goes into uh behavioral ecology and zoology research <laughs> when studying do we real know anything creatures about that at all? i don't know if we do do we have any uh, background in i don't think either of those i don't things? think either of us went to graduate school for either of those <laughs> topics so um i'll have to do a lot of work so we'll have some cryptozoology we'll have some regular zoology We'll That's have right. some paranormal investigation stuff. Maybe we'll even have uh, maybe some uh, UFO stuff. Who maybe knows? some UFO stuff in the mix just to uh, fly overhead of those two topics. Shut up, boy. And then we'll have a very special guest who is yes, a proper indeed. expert on research into this kind of research. Um, exactly. Which we're just doing for this special report. <laughs> so <laughs> Looking forward to that very much. Yeah. So thank you for joining us this time. And Thank um, you very much. Yes, if you enjoyed this ep or any of the eps previous and you've just shown up. Why not go ahead and give us a rating and or review on iTunes? Stitcher, wherever there's a place you can put a review. I mean, you can email us a review and we can then, I guess, make a new account and post We'll just carefully curate it. it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, uh, to that very end, if you have any topics you'd like covered. um, Stories of your own. Yes, indeed. Or just want to reach out and say, why do you guys say so much dumb stuff? We can be reached at contact at superduperstitious.com or through Instagram. Superduperstitious is our handle there. Uh, Twitter technically exists, super duper stitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, and our Facebook page, which is just super duper stitch. If you have noticed how quiet we've been with the episodes because they're bi-weekly, you'll still find hopefully regular updates on Facebook and Instagram yes, indeed. from both of us. So do that. And, Damn it. Uh, otherwise, see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.